the subject that John gave me to preach on is God is omni. And uh, in my naivety, I thought, oh, I can find this in the Bible. And got my concordance out and looked up omni in the concordance, and it's not there. Omni is uh, one of those words that has got things added to it that man has tried to describe the attributes of God with. So I want to look at, uh, at three of them this morning and uh, go through uh, what these theological doctrines have attempted to do with something which, uh, as those of you that have come to the last couple of months know, I have attempted and others have attempted to put into words the attributes of God. And I think the one common thing that we've found is that no matter how many words we use and how hard we try, we are never really going to do anything other than scratch the surface of who God is. Nonetheless, that doesn't stop us from looking at the little bit of information that we have got. Paul described the coming of Jesus as the indescribable gift of God. And ever since, we've tried to describe it. And this is our latest attempt to describe it. I'm grateful to a guy called Andrew Kolikowski, whose paper on this subject has provided uh, valuable material and information on this subject for me to be able to bring to you. What I want to do is look at each of three words in turn and its application in relation to the attributes of God and the teaching of Scripture. And the first of those words is God's omnipresence. The word, as you may well guess, has Latin origins, <clears throat> and the word omni translates as all. Most of you, I think, will know that. And presence comes from the Latin word presens, which translates as here. So God is always here, close to everything and everyone. It follows, therefore, that God is unlimited with respect to time and place. Those of you that uh, regularly attend NCF will have heard Nick speak many times on the fact that God is outside time. And I'm not even going to attempt to go there this morning to try and explain why God is outside of time. You may find it in one of the old, test, old sermons that's uh, on the net. Have a look. There's a guy called Wayne Grudem, and he puts it this way. God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. I'll read that again. God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, 
yet God acts differently in different places. You can perhaps now start to see some of the difficulties of absorbing who truly God is and the enormity of his presence. A.W. Tozer postulates that fewer truths are so clearly taught in Scripture. 1 Kings 8.27 tells us that the highest heavens cannot contain God. Yet Deuteronomy 4.7 tells us that he is still nearby when we pray, unlike other gods who don't even exist. He is, in fact, everywhere. He fills heaven and earth, and no one can hide from him. Jeremiah 23 and 23, 24 says that there are no secret places where he is excluded. I love Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, 7 and 10, it tells us, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The doctrine of omnipresence is extremely comforting to the believer, since God is always available to help. Psalm 46 verse 1 tells us, He is near to all who call on him. Psalm 145 verse 18 tells us, And always will be, to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 20b tells us that. Don't try and scribble it all down. It is in the notes on the webpage. On the other hand, it is also a strong warning and deterrent since no one can escape from the presence of God. And if you are trying to do that, Jonah tried it. What happened to Jonah? No one can escape from the presence of God. I want to turn now to God's omniscience. As you have already surmised, there are again Latin origins. Omni still means all. And scienter which means knowledge. That guy Grudem explains it this way. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and external act. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and external act. Tozer makes his attempt to describe it in this way. 
God knows every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. God knows every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. Quite easy to speak or to read unlike the definition of Christ that came from the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD, that you may remember, those of you that were here, that I read out twice on Christmas Day. And it made no more sense the second time than it did the first. But if you read it again slowly, and as I say, you can on our webpage, where all of these notes are, as well as the works of Grudem, Tozer and Kulioski, from which this sermon was constructed, you can see it all there then you will begin to realize how uncomprehendingly amazing the omniscience of God is. God is infinite in regard to knowledge. Job 37.16 tells us he knows himself and all other things perfectly whether they be actual or merely possible throughout all time. He knows things immediately, simultaneously, exhaustively and truly. And since God knows all things perfectly, he knows nothing better than any other thing. If you've managed to get your thoughts around that one, A.W. Tozer adds that God knows instantly and effectively all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions and personalities, all things visible and invisible, in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and earth. And I'm not going to repeat that one. We'll take a little pause there for breath because we haven't finished yet. There's more to come.
In addition, if God has perfect knowledge, he has no need to learn. In fact, God has never learned and cannot learn. So God does not need to reason towards his conclusions or ponder carefully over his answers. Isaiah 40 and verse 13 and 14 tells us, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Clearly Isaiah was saying no one because God always possessed it and didn't need anyone to show him. In Kulyovsky's paper he continues to expound on God's omniscience and you can read more by following the link on the website. But for the moment I think you've had enough to show that as previously it doesn't matter how many words and thoughts we put forward as I said we will only touch the surface of what these attributes really are. He also touches on predestination or causation showing that God does not cause our actions because we have free will but is aware of them because he himself is timeless. Quoting from a book by R.C. Cook, God, Time and Freedom, he tells us the following. What God timelessly knows would depend in part on what I freely choose. He would infallibly know all my choices without determining them. In other words, our free will is just that, our free will. But God's aware of it all because he's standing outside of time looking in. Details of that book are also on our website. <coughs> time and a, a desire not to confuse you even more than I have already prevent me expanding on it further now. The doctrine of omniscience is truly frightening to those who have something to hide. Since we have seen that nothing can be hidden from God's sight and God knows all things. So if you're trying to hide something from God, you might as well give up now. I just surrender to him. And allow him to minister to you because there is no way you're ever going to keep it from him. On the other hand, God's omniscience is comforting to those who are open to God's conviction. It's also comforting to know that God knows what it is like to live as a human being, what it is like to have needs and wants, what it is like to be tempted, and what it is like to suffer. It is also comforting to know that God knows our needs before we even ask him. Matthew 6 and verse 8. 
Finally, this morning, I want to talk to you about God's omnipotence. Guess what? Omni is still Latin, and it still means all. This time, it's combined with the Latin word potens, which means power. We get potency from it and lots of other words as well. Mr. Grudem defines it as God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. Omnipotence implies the possession of all power and unlimited power. An omnipotent God can do anything he pleases and is never exhausted. His power is unlimited in both its extent and its magnitude. What is impossible for man is possible for God, we're told in Matthew 19 and verse 26. Nothing is too hard for him, we're told in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. And furthermore, anything can be done as easily as anything else. And all acts are done effortlessly. Here's Mr. Tozer's contribution to the definition. Note also that the possession of omnipotence does not demand its exercise. God can do what he wills to do, but he does not necessarily will to do anything. In other words, God has power over his power. Having said all that, it is not entirely accurate to say that God can do anything. Because of his omnipotence, God is able to do whatever he wills. But his will is limited by his nature. In other words, God cannot and will not contradict his own nature. As an example, God cannot sin because sinning means that God does evil. And evil is something which is outside the will of God. So if God sins, he is going against his own will. And that's an absurd assumption. Therefore, it's legitimate to say God cannot sin, yet also maintain that God is omnipotent. The doctrine of omnipotence is a great source of comfort to believers and those who seek God. Since there is no one God cannot save, no situation where God is unable to intervene, and no circumstances which are too harsh or difficult for God to handle. He is able to do 
evenly, even more than we can possibly imagine, as we are told in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. On the other hand, it is a warning and source of fear for the unbeliever, since they have no excuses for rejecting God, as we are told in Romans 1.20, and will ultimately endure God's wrath. In conclusion, the omni-attributes of God provoke two diametrically opposed reactions when people hear about them and understand them. To those who are believers and follow Christ as their Lord and Saviour, they are a source of great comfort and provoke us to worship our awesome God. You may remember that David Rhodes told us a couple of weeks ago that the word awesome should be reserved and only used for describing God and not used in the many contexts people tend to nowadays. Only God is awesome. On the reverse side, to those who are running and or hiding from God, they are a source of great fear and distress and should provoke those of us who know and love the Lord to even greater efforts to carry out Jesus' great commission of going and making disciples to save them from that fear and bring them into a loving relationship with God. Well, that's a sermon for another day. God's attributes are amazing. I had to reread my notes three or four times in order to take on board some of the concepts which were being expressed there. I hope that it hasn't wrought confusion as opposed to clarification. If it has, then please go to our webpage, open it up, read it again, and have a look at some of the other books which are quoted there in a bibliography, and read those through if you want to know more about these attributes of God. But suffice to say, the thing which I preached on Christmas Day that Jesus is an indescribable gift from God, still holds true. And God's attributes are pretty indescribable too. But we make efforts to touch the surface of what those attributes are. And next week, John is going to talk about another attribute of God. Well, for the moment, let's pray. Father, we can but marvel at who and what you are. 
We are trying through these series of sermons to put into words the attributes that you possess. We, certainly I, have only managed to touch the surface of your attributes of omniscience, omnipresence and omnipotence. But I would pray that you would use my words to help those who have listened to have a deeper understanding than they did before of what these attributes are and how amazing you are because you possess them. And as we continue week by week to hear more and more about your attributes, that our love, understanding and awe of who and what you are are deepened through our relationship with you and that we will grow closer and more intimate with you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.